Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, I was originally from Malaysia. I was born in a, a small little town up in the north called Alostar. Uh, I don't wonder anyone knows Alostar in Kedah. And uh, uh, I moved to Singapore many, many years ago. Uh, and uh, I'm now a Singaporean. My whole family is Singaporean. So uh, it's, 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 it's quite nostalgic to come back here during the time of the elections and uh, uh, we'll, I'm staying at the uh, uh, Dorset Grant Hotel, which is the headquarters for uh, the Pakatan Harapan. Is that, uh, yeah? And last night there was like, wow, so much celebration. I was like woken up at one o'clock. They were like shouting and screaming. And uh, yeah, so uh, it, it, it's been great. So um, I planted and pastored Agape Baptist Church in Singapore for 30 years before I transited uh, into my role as the CEO of City to City Asia Pacific. I think Michael Crane is quite instrumental in the early, earlier days when I was hunting and looking for church uh, planters and recruiting them. Uh, he introduced me to a young man uh, by the name of Massimo, who has now taken uh, GCN to great heights that is an inspiration to many around the globe, you know, for what is happening right now here in Kuala Lumpur. So for that, I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, I want to look at a passage of scripture from 2 Kings this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to that. Um, this is a passage about Naaman and his being healed from lepros uh, leprosy. Uh, I'm going to read verse uh, from chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, and then 15 to 27. Uh, the 2 and 3 says, uh, now, if you are there, uh, this is 2 Kings in chapter 5. Now the Syrians, um, now the Syrians, and one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And then we move down to verse 15 right now. Okay, and we look at another character, Gehazi. And it says in verse 15, I'm going to read from verse 15 all the way to verse 27. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God. This is Naaman speaking. There is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As long as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, and, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let that be given to your servant, Two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. And this matter that may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. 
when I bowed myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God said, see, my master has spared this Naaman of the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well, my master, but my master has sent me to say, They have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophet. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master and Elijah said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. This is the word of the Lord. You see, Naaman people was the was the supreme military commander of the armies of Syria. He was wealthy, popular, he was successful, he was valiant. And in spite of having everything the world could possibly uh, uh, give to him, he was leprous. He had a wasting disease, he was literally falling apart. And then he ends up going to Israel seeking for a cure. And in the process, he is converted. He comes back now, back to Syria, more excited about the God of Israel than his healing from leprosy. And there's something to note, because people normally, when they are healed, they're excited about the healing. But this man was more excited about the God who healed him than the healing itself. And he discovers this God of Israel that he gives salvation by free grace, that nobody can merit it, nobody can earn it. And this morning, we're going to look at the different characters in the story and draw lessons from them. We look at everyone, there are three characters here, except for Elisha. We won't look at him. So we're going to look at Naaman, and then we're going to look at Gehazi, Elisha's servant, and then this teenage slave girl that is introduced to us in the beginning of the story. So Naaman was a pagan. He knew nothing about the Bible. He had no, absolutely no religious understanding of the Bible at all, but he is converted. He meets with God and his life is changed. And then you have Gehazi. Gehazi, is, is, he lives with the prophet, the prophet, Elisha. And, uh, and, and, and you know, he's probably a trainee under the prophet. He probably knew the word of God inside out as a result of that. But 
you discover the story that his heart doesn't get changed. Naaman meets with God with no religious background. And then you have Gehazi who misses God with all of his religious background. And then you have this young slave girl living in a foreign land as a captive. And she's able to point Naaman to the God of her fathers. Three characters. So we look at the first one, Naaman. And we, and we look at three marks. We draw a few lessons from each one of them. The first one is Naaman. We look at three marks of a man who has met God. Now, how do you and I know for sure that we have had a God encounter? How do we know that we have met with God? What are the marks that would characterize such a life? The answer to that question are in verses 15 to verses 18. And uh, these verses give us three marks of a person who actually encountered the living God as seen in Naaman. The first one is this, his thinking changes. If you look at Second uh, Kings verse five, uh, and, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, it says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, people, listen carefully to what Naaman says. He does not say, now I know that your God is more powerful than all my gods. Because if you look elsewhere, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, when, when uh, at one point said that, oh, the, the God of Israel is really more powerful than all the other gods. This is not what Naaman is saying. That would mean that there's no change to his thinking at all. In those days, every nation and every city uh, has its own, and, and, every, and every region had its own God. And, and, and if, if, if Naaman has said that your God is more powerful than all the other gods, it would just be that, you know what, we have our gods, you have your gods. Yeah, I noticed that your God is more powerful. He's able to heal, like, not like the other gods. That's not what he's saying. Naaman was probably thinking hard on his way back from the Jordan River. You know, he was asked to immerse in the river uh, uh, seven times. And when he got up, he, he was totally healed. And as he was walking out of that river, coming back from the Jordan, he probably was thinking the Holy Spirit was at work in his heart and in his mind. And, and, and he must have thought, this isn't just a miracle. This is a whole new way of thinking about everything. And then he meets the prophet and he says, there is no other God but this God. There is only one God. Now listen, when you have met God, it is not just about how you feel. You know, lots of people think that encountering God is about getting that warm, fuzzy, loving feeling about God. They take the, fee the feeling that they get as, as, as an indicator that they have met God. And some people say, I want to encounter God because I want to feel something. But listen, would you put the next slide on, please? Your feelings won't change 
until your heart changes. And your heart won't change until your mind changes. Naaman had a change of mind. When Naaman experienced God, he had a renewal of mind. And he, he used to believe at one time that there were many gods. Now that he had encountered the one true God, he is converted. And now he believes that these are no gods at all. There is only one God, and he's the God of Israel. And when his mind changed, his heart changes. He was now trusting this God, and his feelings followed his thoughts. Your heart will always follow your mind. So that's the first thing. When you, when you truly meet God, there's a renewal of a mind. Your thinking changes. There's a second thing that we observe here. His heart towards his possession changes. You see, he actually came to buy his healing. Believing that there's nothing that comes free. But now that he, he is healed by sheer grace, that grace changes him. Actually, now he can go back home with all that money. He brought a lot of money, you know, to, to, to buy his healing. But Elisha wouldn't accept that. So right now that he's healed, he could actually bring all of his money back with him. He already got what he came for. He's already healed. But his heart is now changed. God's grace always does that to us. When you experience the grace of God, that grace melts your heart. Because you suddenly realize that you did nothing to deserve this. And, 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 and it melts your heart with gratitude. And this is exactly what happened to Naaman. So one of the marks, next slide, please. One of the marks of a person who experiences the grace of God is that you become radically generous. It becomes natural. And Naaman is not only becoming financially generous, he now identifies himself. Look at the way he calls himself. He says, I am a servant. He says to Elisha, accept this gift from your servant. You see, everyone served Naaman. Now Naaman says, I am your servant. There is a change. The receiver who is always used to receiving from people and being served by people, has now become a giver. And he calls himself a servant. And people, this is what grace does to us. It changes us from a, from, from a receiver to becoming a giver. Because you're just so grateful. You suddenly realize that everything that I have it's a gift from God. I don't deserve this. It's grace. And grace changes the heart. The third thing. And so we know that, oh, this man, Naaman, he truly has met God. His mind is changed. His heart is changed. And thirdly, his outlook towards his work changes. This is really very interesting. You see, Naaman has had the experience of a lifetime. His mind is opened up. His heart is filled. He has been healed. 
He's a new man right now. He's met this one true God. Now, Naaman now could have gone back to Elijah and said, say, say to Elijah, Sir, let me stay here in Israel with you. You know, I don't want to go back to all those filthy pagans anymore. You know, I, I want to live among the good people of, of, of God here in Israel. I don't want to have anything to do with those Syrians anymore. I want to be here. He could have said that. But Naaman does not say that. He is going right back to his life in Syria. He's going back to his work. And, 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 and part of his work was to escort the king to the temple of Rimon because he was the prime minister. The temple of Rimon was the central temple in, 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 in Syria. And Naaman isn't withdrawing from his secular work, secular job. And when he goes back to his work, He's not saying that he will keep his faith a secret or keep his faith private either. He's saying, even in my job, I'm going to, I'm, I, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do all that I can to make my faith public to my colleagues. How? He says, every single time I kneel, and in that culture, you know, the prime minister kneels and then the king will put his, uh, put his arm over his, his, his shoulder in order to offer his worship. And he says that every time that I kneel, I'm going to bring some of the, of the mud from Israel and put it under, put it down so that people will know that I'm worshiping the Lord while I'm bowing my knees to Ramon. He says that I will identify myself as a believer of the God of Israel. People, have you met God? Have you had an encounter with God? Are you continually meeting God? Are these marks, of course, there are many more marks than these, but from the scripture that we just read, from the text we just read, we draw out these three marks. But are these marks evident in your life? Are you being renewed in your mind? Is your thinking changing? Are you putting God above all the other idols in your life? Where your life is a testimony to the fact that there is only one God. And he alone is worthy of my life and my worship. And my commitment and my dedication. Has the grace of God melted your heart? such that you are generous, not just with your money, but with your life, with your time, with the way that you serve other people, because you're so deeply grateful for what God has done for you and in you. Are you more of a giver or are you still a consumer? And do you intentionally make your faith public at your work? Or are you secretive? about your faith. Those are the marks to help us determine if we have truly met with God. If we are truly encountering God. And as, and as we meet God, our lives change in these directions, demonstrating these marks. So that was Naaman. 
and the lessons that we draw from him. But now we look at a second character, and he is Gehazi. Gehazi is the man who missed God. And people, what we cannot, what most of us may not quite identify with Naaman, I think we can identify with Gehazi in many ways. Now, you, know, you notice that the story tells us that Elijah would not take the gift from Naaman. When he came with all that money and all those gifts, he wouldn't take it. Why? Because if he had taken the gift, he would have sent the message to those watching that God's healing and blessings can somehow be earned. And Elijah wouldn't do that. But, at, but had Elijah taken the offer, let's say that Elijah took the offer, because he, when he came back the second time to say, take this, and I'm just so grateful, please accept it. If Elijah had taken it, it would, it would have made him the richest man in Israel. He would be walking away with more money than he could ever make in his life. But Gehazi, Elijah's intern, he thinks differently. He goes after Naaman, and he is very smart. He tells Naaman a lie, but it is a very good lie. He doesn't say, give me the money, because that would have made, led to some kind of a suspicion. He doesn't say, I, 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 will, I will take it for my master. My master just changed his mind. He doesn't even ask for all of that money. You see how smart it is. You know, if you want to lie, you must be smart in lying. <laughs> and, and he does this well. He asks for just a part of it. And, you know, he says that this is not even for me or for my master. You know, we have some prophets who have come from the hills. Suddenly, uh, they come here to visit and, and this is for them. So he gets the money and he brings it back. And Elijah knows about it. And Elijah judges him and he becomes a leper that Naaman was. And people, this is so tragic because Gehazi was a religious man while Naaman was a pagan. Naaman knew nothing about the Bible. Gehazi grew up knowing the Bible inside out. And, and he sat at the feet of one of the, the, the greatest prophets of all times in history. And yet, he missed God. And Gehazi is, is a person whom is, is, a, is a person in, in, in today's context. Gehazi is a person who makes it to church every week. Gehazi is a person with a perfect church attendance. He knows the Bible inside out. He has memorized scripture. He will get an A on any Bible doctrine that you throw at him. But he missed God. He is, he is all the things that Na Naaman is not, and yet he missed God. Why? Simply because religion will not change your heart. Because for, a, for an encounter with God, you need more than religion. You need more than just church attendance and Bible study. Although let me tell you that these are important and they will aid you to meet with God. But more than that, people, you and I need to be broken by our sinfulness. 
we need to know that uh, we need to know our own spiritual bankruptcy. We need to be humble. We need to be repentant. In other words, you need to experience the grace of God for, for the depth of your depravity and your sins. You put the next slide on. The grace of God makes you a better person, but religion without the grace of God can corrupt your soul. And that is exactly what happened to Gehazi. Gehazi missed God and Naaman met God. Now let's move on to the last of these characters. She was just mentioned very briefly, but I believe that the hero of the story is actually this young slave girl. And, and she teaches us how we can actually meet God and not miss him. Second um, Kings chapter five, verse two to four. Now the Syrians on one of the raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, she went to the wife, Naaman's wife, and said to her, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, that he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Now this young girl was probably 13 or 14 years old, and she was taken captive, and she's now a slave at Naaman's house. Possibly, a band of Syrian soldiers had come into her home and they raided her house. And she probably had witnessed her parents killed before her very eyes. And if she had some siblings, they were probably taken captive as well and sold to somebody somewhere else. And so she's now taken captive to Syria. Now in Syria, She's a minority race. She has to learn a new language. She has to adapt to a whole new culture. And she is a slave. She's not paid for what she does. And because she's a slave, she has no rights. She has no choices. Everything has been taken away from her. Her whole life has been robbed from her. And who is responsible for all of this? in her life? Naaman, the supreme commander of the army of Israel. Probably this teenage girl would spend the nights after she finished her work and she was put into a little bed where she would sleep in some little corner of the house. And she would probably lie down in her bed and she probably would be thinking how her life has turned out and how even never everything that she had would never come back to her again. Probably her parents are dead. Her siblings are somewhere else and she didn't know, doesn't know where they are. And they probably will never meet. And everything to her looks miserable. Now let me ask you this question, people. How would you respond to a person who had murdered many of your friends and your family and has now taken you captive, making you a slave in his house. How would you respond to such a person? 
Look at how she responds. She doesn't say, as she saw Naaman struggling and suffering in his leprosy, she doesn't look at him from the corner of her eye as she moves around the house and say, huh, great that this big guy now has leprosy. He deserves it. Praise the Lord. Serves him right. You know, yesterday I saw that another finger dropped off. Hallelujah. Good for him. More to come. Lord, let him slowly fall apart. Let everything drop off. He deserves this for what he has done to my parents, to my nation, to my community. I think I would have responded that way, wouldn't you? No. She saw him suffering. And she goes to her mistress. And she says, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. And you sense a love in the way that she says it. There is the compassion. She seems to genuinely care for him. And all that tells us one thing, people. She must have forgiven him. Now, this is costly forgiveness. It would have been easy to forgive someone if they forgot your birthday or if they broke your coffee cup even. That's fine. Easy. But it takes a lot to forgive someone who have murdered your parents probably, torn you away from your family and your community, and exploited you now as a slave. This girl has taken all that suffering upon herself and forgiven Naaman. It must be, have been so hard to forgive him, but because she forgave him, he now lives. He found grace and he found healing because she forgave him. If she didn't forgive him, he would have died of leprosy because she would have never pointed him to the prophet in Israel. In that sense, Naaman's life was in her hands. But she forgave, absorbing all her, all her suffering and all her pain. And she became tender-hearted and compassionate. And Naaman was saved. And he was saved by a suffering servant in his life. Her suffering became the means of his salvation. Now, people, listen. This girl, whom I believe is a hero of our story, this girl points to the ultimate suffering servant for the world. And his name is Jesus. Jesus was also torn away from his father. For no fault of his. The human race beat him up. 
tortured him. And like this girl, instead of hating us and letting us die in, our, in the leprosy of our hearts and in our sins, he forgave us. He suffered on our behalf just to save us. And people, if you receive this wonderful gift of salvation from the hands of Jesus, our suffering servant, the question that I have for you is this. Can you forgive the people who have wronged you and hurt you? Maybe you're furious with someone. Maybe you've been furious for a long time because you have been so badly hurt by this person. But if Jesus suffered for you and forgave you, wouldn't you also forgive? Wouldn't you give the grace that you have freely received to your offenders? You know, this little girl, when she forgave and pointed Naaman to his salvation and his healing, her heart became soft and compassionate. She became tender-hearted. You know, as she forgave, did you know that she herself was healed of the leprosy of her own heart? Otherwise, her joy would have dropped off. Her peace would have dropped off. Maybe her mental health would have dropped off. She would have become bitter and crippled on the inside but she forgave and forgiveness heals the heart and the power to forgive comes to you when we rec when you and i recognize how deeply we have been forgiven by our suffering servant and sometimes it is worth sitting somewhere in solitude and reflecting on that because to the degree that you understand the forgiveness that Jesus has offered to you, to that degree, you'll be able to forgive. And the more that you're able to forgive the people who have offended you, the more you'll be healed of the leprosy of your own heart. Let me close with this little story. You know, in my job, I, I, I get to hear firsthand from a lot of people who are out there you know, doing such great work. So this is one such story. When the pandemic hit us in, in early March of 2020, one of our key leaders in Bangladesh had to evacuate his entire family. Because of the situation that was getting so bad uh, that it wasn't safe for them to remain in the city. You know, the lockdown had created massive unemployment, causing people to just pour out into the streets, begging, looting, and, and, just, and it became dangerous and unsafe uh, for, for him and his family. So they returned to their home country for about four months. And when the situation got slightly better, they returned back to Bangladesh in like mid-October 2020. The pandemic was still raging, but his... his, his his family and, uh, could, not, could not stay away for too long. He and his family could not stay away for too long. So uh, that year in 2020, when I asked him uh, if he was sure that he wanted to go back 
you know, to Bangladesh, you know, why not stay stay for a little longer, you know, uh, be, so that, you know, so that it's safer to, for everyone. Uh, he told me this. And he said that God didn't call them to safety. That's not the calling. That God has called them to Bangladesh. And as soon as they can, they want to go. And they went. So he and his wife and their, and their four kids, aged 12 to one year old, returned to this particular city. And then I, when he got back and I, I, would, I, would, I would do some Zoom calls with him and talk to him. And he would say that, you know, Guna, you don't understand the, the opportunities now that we have to serve the gospel here where we are. And there's so many opportunities that have risen just because of the pandemic. And he said, it is so good that, that we are back, that we, we, we couldn't see the gospel movement accelerate at such a speed like this. We couldn't have seen it if we stayed back in safety somewhere else. This particular leader understood what it means to be a suffering servant for Jesus. And I think the reason was because he has met the ultimate suffering servant. He was willing to take the wounds so that other people can come to know Jesus. He knew that that this is not a time to tighten the belt of safety and, and security, but it's time to truly trust the Lord. And people, as I close, uh, allow me to ask, to ask you some questions. Are you willing to suffer some wounds so that other people can come to know Jesus? No, maybe the Lord is calling you to make a, a financial gift that will really affect your lifestyle. But it becomes a means of salvation for others. Would you be willing to do that? Maybe God is calling you to endure the scorn of others who talk negatively about you at your workplace or at your school because of your convictions and your choices. But would you still make a stand for your faith? Maybe the Lord is calling you to forgive someone and heal the leprosy of your own heart. Would you do that? Because ultimately, the question you and I have to answer is this. Are we willing for our suffering, small or big, to be the means of salvation for others? Because that's the calling that God has given to all of us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. My dear Father, we come before you, Lord, to thank you for this wonderful story of Naaman's healing. Father, we thank you that the story points us all, Lord, to the ultimate suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what he went through for us on the cross. Father, I ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you would deepen, oh God, our understanding of what Christ has done for us so that it changes our hearts, it renews our mind, that it causes us to be the new creation that Jesus says that we are. 
that you will make us radically generous, that you will make us a forgiving people, that will make us bold for our faith in the public square. Father, day by day, as you open your word, as we worship you, as we come before you in prayer, may you give us a grace to meet you, Lord. And as we meet you, may we be changed by you. And we thank you, Lord, for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.